the voice of reason, the voice of alarm, the voice of stats, the voice of scouts, the voice of Kool-Aid, the voice of dismay, the voice of Dave All I can say is two words. Holy hell! What a week for the Kansas City Royals. As it's Davo, glad you are along for another edition of Your Dish on Clubhouse Conversation, where I am joined by Clubhouse Conversation insider Jake Lutz tonight after the Royals had an absolutely huge week. First of all, of course, winning five of six between at Detroit and at Boston. Second of all, the Royals add four players and two trades. We'll discuss all that and look forward to this set with Baltimore as well. And we'll talk about any more potential moves coming up shortly. But first of all, Jake Lutz, what a week. I'm fired up. How about you? I'm feeling good, man. It was a heck of a week, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, we were talking exactly a week ago right now, this time last week, and I don't know that you expressed as much concern as I did. Jake, coming into this road trip, realistically, I was hoping for 5-4, and four, and I thought that if everything bounced the right way, we could go 6-3. and three. And this is, of course, before two trades. And But, man, we, we roll through this 5 out of 6, Jake. Yeah, it's incredible. I would think we both were on the same page where you're like, well, four and five, five and four, that would be fine for this road trip. And now sitting at five and one and heading to Baltimore, um, uh, we're, you got to be feeling pretty good. Plus the two trades, it was a crazy week. I think everything we hoped would happen this week has pretty much happened. So <laughs> yeah. I think we're in a pretty good spot. I mean, literally, you couldn't have asked for anything more this week. Let's kind of start from the start of the week then. Let's go back to that Detroit Tigers series in the Motor City and like we talked about, coming in, nervous on that one. You face, once again for the second series in a row, the two aces of Detroit. If we backtrack a second, go back to after the All-Star break, the Royals struggle, losing two out of three to Toronto at home, and then they have the four-game set with Detroit. All of a sudden, they lose the first two, and you're facing Verlander and Fulmer, and somehow the Royals eke out a couple of wins there. So I thought, you know, you and I were kind of on the same page that you hoped to split uh, this time around with Verlander and Fulmer. You thought it could be Verlander's last hurrah. It wasn't. He pitched again and got a win today, and you thought maybe the Royals would struggle against Fulmer, which they did. He was very good, but they found a way to win that game. But Jake, I mean, then you have a potential letdown game. I mean, you give the Royals big credit for winning the first two, but then Anibal Sanchez, not the same Anibal Sanchez we used to know four or five years ago that the Royals couldn't hit. I mean, but, you know, they, they could have had a kind of a letdown game there, but they don't. They sweep. I mean, go back to that series and kind of your overall thoughts on the, the Tiger series. Well, you know, coming into that series, I think we discussed it last week. I said we were due to have a good series and finally beat Detroit on the road, and that's exactly what we did. I mean, especially facing Verlander and Fulmer, and, you know, they both had pretty good stuff, but we were able to overcome that and win those games. And then really just uh, the game against Annabelle Sanchez was a complete collapse for Detroit and kind of a sign of, of how their season's been. That was a disaster, and the Royals just piled it on. Um, that, I can't believe how much money Annabelle Sanchez is still getting from the Tigers. That's a whole other story. But um, yeah, it was it was just great to see the Royals go in there and take care of business because those are the type of teams they're going to have to beat up on down the stretch here in this division with them and the White Sox being so poor. Yeah, we have a lot. Of, we have nine more games against the White Sox, and is it nine more against Detroit as well? It's quite a few. So you're right about that. Probably about you know 20 percent of the Royals' remaining games are against those two clubs, and that's good news. Especially if Detroit ends up dealing a Verlander. It sounds like Justin Wilson, the closer, is more apt to be traded from Detroit. Your, your thoughts quickly on uh, on Bruce Rondon. You know, I was kind of 
I was glad in that situation the Royals didn't respond because, as it turned out, in that bottom of the ninth, you brought in Maurer, your new relief pitcher. You can't have him come in and, and get suspended for two games and, and play minus one player when you're in a pennant race. So I thought it was nice the Royals didn't respond there. It was a complete Bush League move by Rondo and Jake. But you go back the previous series. Remember, two Royals have been hit in the hand in the same inning. I thought perhaps the Royals should have responded back home in Kansas City. It seemed pretty cheap from uh, Rondo. And your thoughts on that whole fiasco? Yeah, I'm honestly, I'm glad and really, really pleased with the way the Royals handled it. I thought it was perfect for Moose to, you know, obviously get upset verbally there, but to not lose his composure and just head to first two, just yelling at him. I thought everyone really handled that pretty well because even the Tigers teammates, you could tell they didn't even want to be backing that guy up. So, um, I, I, you know, they could have responded. I'm kind of glad they didn't. You don't want anyone getting suspended or have to deal with any of that the rest of the year. So, since we're in a pennant race right now and it's this time of the year, maybe if it was earlier in the year, I would say we need to have a response. But with the pennant race, you don't want to lose any guys. So I, I'm pleased with the way that they uh, handled that situation. How about, uh, I don't know if you watched the 30 for 30 on, on the Celtics Lakers. Did you watch that three-part series? By the way, I have not watched it. Okay. No, I heard I, it was good. I have a point for bringing that up, by the way. So, my point in bringing that up is the parallel. You know, they say back in the day the Boston Garden would turn the heat way up and the teams would slip and the opposing benches wouldn't get good water. It'd be like warm water. They would just do all these things. It got to the point where the Lakers brought their own bottled water and, you know, they didn't even shower at the Boston Garden. I don't know. How about Detroit watering down the infield? Is my point with that. Like the pure mud. Like, how? I mean, seriously, there's gamemanship and there's just cheap, Jake. I mean, am I just whining a little bit it didn't look like like a mud pit you know around first base there (laughs) it did look like that i mean they're they're using any trick they can get that that team just imploded in that last game i mean it was that was an embarrassing not only run down thing but justin upton throwing his helmet down and it hitting him in the face (laughs) i mean that pretty much summed up their season right there so it, it was yeah yeah it was it was not not a good showing from them in any way well, now during that series too, the Royals add and, and the big trade they dish, uh, you know, Travis Wood out to San Diego, who of course responds with a great start. Well, I think it was six innings, seven Ks, two runs the other night um, in his debut. Good for him though, you know, not not going against him or anything. But they chipped out Travis Wood, uh, Matt Strom, which you know is a bit of a loss. Of course, he's out for the year, and and deep down, I perhaps you know we've interviewed him a couple of times, gotten to know him pretty well here in Clubhouse conversation. Great kid, but sometimes I wonder if he gets rattled a bit. So. So I, I feel like he might be a better as a starter, um, and I think that's probably what they'll do with him when he gets you know stretched out next year and healthy. So good luck to, to Strom. You know, you had to give him up. You didn't want to do that. Uh, Wood was fine. The Royals actually end up about you know saving about a million dollars dumping Wood, and then uh, the lottery ticket is Starry Ruiz down in uh, in rookie ball, the 18 year old. Who knows what happens there? But uh, you know that trade happens. The Royals acquire during that series Ryan Bookter, Brandon Maurer, and Trevor Cahill. Uh, I guess your thoughts on that deal. Um, you know, it's really is a good deal, honestly, for both sides. Um, but for the Royals, you got to be really pleased getting your starter. You needed a fifth starter. You've got that taken care of now with Trevor Cahill. I think he's going to fill in fine. I know he was, you know, didn't have his best stuff yesterday, but making a start in Fenway is never easy for a guy, especially I'm sure the reserve team now and finds himself in the middle of a pennant race. But I like Trevor Cahill a lot. Um, it's a huge to have him down the stretch, and I like both relievers. I like Bookter and Maurer. I mean. Maurer was the closer for the Padres. You can see the 99-mile-per-hour heat. He's got a nasty breaking ball. Um, I think Ned can do a lot of different things with him in the pen, whether he, you know, depending on down the stretch, when he used Herrera multiple days, he can close. He can also pop in in the 7th or 8th whenever they need him. And then I think Bookter, you know, it's another good lefty out of the pen. 
So I, I really like the deal. You know, Travis Wood, I, I wish him the best, but he was not working out here. He needs to be probably be in the National League. So, and then, you know, Matt Strom, I, we don't know what will happen with him. I think he could end up being a decent, you know, number three starter maybe down the road, but it, it's hard to know right now. He, like you said, he did seem to get rattled. So, honestly, I think it was a good deal for both sides and, and a really big deal for the Royals here as they head into this pennant race. Yeah, booked her absolutely death to left-handed hitters. So it's nice kind of – you've got Scott Alexander, who is more of a, you know, just pure sinker guy that can give you a couple innings, one inning. And, I'm, and, Mauer, and uh, sorry, Bookter by no means I'm saying is just a specialist. He's not just a loogie, but perhaps more of a loogie than Alexander is. And when you've got all these lefties out there, you can kind of mix and match them. So you've got a guy death on right-handers and Peter Moylan, and then you've got a guy in uh, Bookter. You know, perhaps those two uh, nights where Mike Minor isn't available or certain nights would be pretty good for the seventh inning there, Jake, to get you through an inning if you – you know, mix and match those two to get you through the seventh, and then you have your Soria, your Herreras, your Mowers, and perhaps your Miners for the eighth and ninth. So I, I think the bullpen is, is really set up well, and I, I almost think, it, Jake, isn't it almost hard to assign roles right now with this bullpen? I mean, we, we've talked about Kelvin Herrera. Uh, one thing I do want to note is that, the, 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 what was it, Friday night in Boston, I don't know if you agree with this, I thought he looked the best he's looked the entire season. I thought oh, absolutely. the slider was was firm. Uh, the fastball, the velocity was there, but the location was good. He looked loose. He just looked he looked easy. And the exact opposite happened again today. He, he, I mean, I, I thought he was going to blow that game today, to be quite frank with you. Just didn't seem to have any command of anything. Um, but, you know, the roles in the bullpen, I mean, we've talked about this. We both agree that Herrera is still your closer until he blows two or three games. Hopefully that doesn't happen. So hopefully he finishes the season as the closer. Soria his seventh blown save of the year, which ties last year, which is kind of interesting, Jake, because I think both of us feel like he's pitched fairly well this season. But, you know, is he what, who, what's your seventh and eighth inning, guys? If, if Taking out the loogie and, and the nothing but the righty, is there even a term for a righty? Would that be a roogie? <laughs> anyway, taking taking out, let's just throw Moylan and, uh, and Bookter out of the equation. You look at your minor, your Maurer, uh, your Soria, you know, it's kind of your maybe your three guys you consider for the seventh and eighth. What are their roles right now? Like, assuming everyone's rested, I mean, are you just are you just sticking with the same thing? I'm assuming Ned will, but do you agree with him on that? Keeping Soria as your primary eighth inning and Minor as your primary seventh? Um, I don't know. I, I like Mauer being back there in either the you know seventh or eighth inning. I think he probably will stick with Soria unless Soria just you know blows a couple more games in the eighth. Then maybe it could change. So. You know how Ned likes to stick to his thing. I think he'll probably stick with Story in the eighth and Herrera in the ninth. You know, the seventh inning is probably going to be more of, I think, a matchup thing. I think he'll look, you know, to minor, you know, against if you've got several lefties coming up and probably just play the matchups there with him or with Maurer. So it'll be interesting to see. I, I Again, I know we've only seen Maurer throw a couple times, but I really like his stuff. I mean, that's the type of arm that you want in the back end of the bullpen right there. Yeah, absolutely. Now, moving on to the Boston series, the Royals take two out of three over the weekend, and I was very impressed with this. You know, so the Royals had to be a little fluid as on Friday we find out that the guy they're supposed to face Friday night, David Price, is injured, and, and what a weird story with him and Dennis Eckersley going on out there. And you know, uh, but I digress on that. But you know, they they so they have to kind of be uh, you know think on their toes and kind of adjust because they about three or four hours ahead of their game they found out they're facing Rick Porcello that night. So you face last year's Cy Young winner who, let's not kid ourselves, is just a shell of himself. He's nowhere close to what he was last year. But still, you know, a guy that's capable of going out there and giving you seven innings, two runs, or what have you. And he threw pretty well against the Royals, I thought, on Friday. Then you have Eduardo Rodriguez, a guy who has the upside of a number 2 starter 
It just doesn't seem to put it together at certain times. And then Drew Pomeranz, a guy that when he throws strikes, I believe he only walked one today. When he throws strikes, he's a tough cookie. So the Royals go into a tough environment. They were catching Boston at a time where the Red Sox, of course, uh, were kind of down. But, you know, you, you hear some fans, Jake, say, oh, the Royals should have swept because, you know, Soria and Buchter were awful in game two. I mean, Bonifacio, you know, cost them two runs by not making a catch, and that kind of screwed Cahill and made his line look worse. And that part of it's true, and there was some bad defense. But at the same time, Boston did the same thing. And, and I think you got to look at it today, Jake. Boston probably felt like today was a game they should have won. They had a two-run lead late in the game as well into the eighth inning like the Royals did the night before. The Royals had an, a lead in the eighth on Saturday and, and lost it. And same thing with Boston today. So didn't this pretty much end at how it end up how it should have with, two, with Royals two out of three? Wasn't that realistically what should have happened in this series? Yeah, I think everything pretty much evened out between yesterday and today. Yesterday was just a, a weird baseball game, a really sloppy baseball game on both sides. And um, you got to think, I mean, the Royals also got a 302 foot three run homer from Kane that's you know a fly out at every other ballpark. <laughs> so um, we we had some luck going our way last night too. But it, it was just an odd game and. Bullpen's not going to be perfect every single night. And, you know, Boston, they're a team that, you know, they, they just don't go away. And they're capable of scoring a lot of runs, even though they don't hit any homers. So um, it, it was a tough loss last night, definitely. But I think Boston would tell you they felt like they should have won that game when they've got a two-run lead today in the eighth and blew it. So I think the series pretty much evened out how, how it should have, you know, Royals taking two out of three, and you've got to be feeling pretty good about it despite the loss last night. Your thoughts on Drew Butera last night, Jake? Uh, you know, you always hear it, it's kind of funny. It's almost like that people say it as like an affectionate, like, like a compliment, like, oh, he's a catch and throw guy. Like, there's so many. Isn't pretty much every catcher in baseball that, or every backup catcher in baseball called a catch and throw guy? It's basically a nice way of saying they can't hit, right? Like, every single backup catcher is a catch and throw guy, it seems like, which is almost, in a way, it's almost a slap in the face. But, you know, Drew Butera, a guy we've never really seen struggle defensively, at least not. Uh, for more than you know, maybe a hitter at a time or something. But you know what? Three balls get by him, and he misses a tag last night. Maybe he wasn't set up the best uh, at the plate. You, you, what, were, what were your thoughts on that last night? What happened with that? There, there were so many, you know, wild pitches that were not really wild pitches. But last night throughout that game on both sides. But yeah, Butera, he really struggled ever since he came in. I didn't, I don't know what was going on, but he just had a rough night. He seemed to every. He, you know, his mechanics looked fine, but the ball just kept either hitting off his glove or hitting off his, his knee guard or something. So um, I, I don't know. Also, that if, I felt like that batter's box, too. It seemed like the way the ball was bouncing was just like there were rocks there or something. <laughs> I don't really Maybe know, Detroit's but, grounds crew came in and did some hometown. Yeah, yeah, it was like the opposite of Detroit, where it was just they didn't water it at all or something. <laughs> but it, 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 it was a weird night, and yeah, he had a he did not have a good game. He was not set up well at all, I didn't think, on that tag last night either at the plate. I know you can't block the plate or whatever the rule is now that they've changed, but still he was he was way out in front of the plate. It's almost like we didn't anticipate him coming home at all there. So that it was a rough night for him, but I, I thought he made up for his play much better defensively today. I thought that was play where he backed up at first was fantastic today when he uh, the throw by Merrifield that went over Hosmer's head because that ball's probably bouncing yeah. into the stands and he dove his entire body to block that thing. So uh, it was nice to see him have a better day out there today. And last night's one that. He definitely just wants to forget about it and move on. That's a good point. Another good point. That's a, I wouldn't have even thought about that, but you're right about that. That was a big play in the game today. Um, another thing I've got to give a tip of the cap to Ned Yost. Um, for letting Jason Hamill go out there today, you know, we all know the numbers, third time through the order, uh, you know, fifth inning and on seems to get away from him more times than not. And that's all true. 
but what have we seen, Jake, since Ned Yost got here? We've seen him going way back to when Alcides Escobar would be allowed to hit as a number nine hitter in 2012 and 13, and people would moan and groan and say, well, we could have won that game. And in the grand scheme back then, we were bitching about you know 71 wins versus 76 wins. It really didn't matter. And Ned said, well, you know, he's going to have to hit in those situations someday. Um, and, you know, you go from there and, and on and on, sticking with Mike Moustakas when he was miserable and then the old third base tree line that kind of gave Moose a shot in the arm and said, you're my guy, I'm sticking or swimming with you, and, and on and on, sticking with Jeremy Guthrie. And, I mean, you, you, there's so many guys. He believes in his players, I guess, is the theme I'm getting at. And it paid off today, Jake. Seven innings, three runs out of Jason Hamill. I think, I think both Hamill and Yost deserve a tip of the cap today. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, and Jason Hamill, he's, he's been fantastic, really, over the last – about a month and a half or so now, um, and uh, he, he hasn't gotten much run support over that time because I know today was his first win since the last time we played Boston, and that was in, what, early to mid-June. So he's been so good. At, ever since he started just working straight out of the stretch and not doing the wind-up anymore, uh, he's been really good, and he's been keeping us in every single start for the most part. And, um, yeah, yeah, tip of the cap to him, it's, it's been great because I know me and you both were very worried about him the first couple months of the season. Oh, gosh. And it's, he's, he's been giving us solid outing after solid outing, and it's, it's great to see. It's funny because we joked. I remember back, you know, in our, in our, uh, in our season preview, we joked and said, you know, I, I know a couple of media people up in Chicago and a couple of diehard Cubs fans, and they told me the first half of the year he'll look like he's Sandy Koufax, and the second half he'll melt down. <laughs> and you and I talked in like mid May, and we're like, well, if it's not the opposite, it's going to be a wasted year for him and a, and a complete bust. And it has been the opposite, Jake. It's like he had a meltdown <laughs> the first two months, and now he's turned into what he used to be in the first half of, of most seasons before he wears down at the end. So, and perhaps, you know, we'll talk here in a second about some rumors about adding guys. Perhaps that's why the Royals are still, uh, you keep hearing murmurs about them adding another arm. Maybe it's some of it's the fact that Jason Vargas hardly threw any innings last year, and, and Hamill you know, is a guy that wears down his tendency to, and, mm-hmm. and you know, Duffy still is not too far removed from Tommy John and has had some injury issues this year, so it, may, it might be a protection type thing. We'll talk about that in a minute, but just something to think about. One other note about today, uh, Alex Gordon, how about that big hit today from him, and he really had a couple balls hard today that were caught. Yeah, it was good to see. He had a good day at the plate. He hit the ball hard. Uh, I believe both times he got out, he hit the ball hard today. So um, that hit was huge. And uh, against a tough lefty, it, it was somewhat unexpected there. I was hoping he would just put the ball in the air, be, be able to get the run home so we could take the lead. And he drove that ball into the gap. And hopefully we'll see more from him. Um, you know, I, I don't know if it was maybe a, a motivated play today because we the Melky trade, but I don't think that's going to affect his playing time much anyways. But uh, he, he looks solid at the plate, and those are the type of ABs we need from him going down the stretch. And I also want to give a tip of the cap while we're on that. I, you're going to laugh, but I mean, I'm being serious. Like, I really thought the home plate umpires were good in this series. Like, I mean, it's, I, I can't remember a time where the Royals have gone into Boston where I didn't feel like they got screwed by the home plate umpire like it just seems like they have bad luck there i i thought the royals got the calls in this series i thought that they're i thought it was today's um, home plate umpire was nick lentz um, who's a minor league call-up i thought he was good today jake like, v- they were very consistent todd titchener was great last night the guy that grew up a royals fan in garden city last time we saw him might have even been in that detroit series at home he was dreadful it was just absolutely awful <laughs> for the royals but he was the exact opposite last night so i don't know what you thought but i, I thought the umpiring was pretty good in this series too yeah, um, as long as it's you know being called fairly and the same on both sides, I don't care if the guy really has a big or small strike zone. As long as it just, we've had series where we've gone on the road and we feel like we're kind of getting squeezed a little bit. And uh, with with our guys and our pitchers, we especially since we have so many guys who are just like Jason Vargas who are just counting on location, um, that that can be that can be tough when you're on the road and you're 
getting screwed on calls. But, yeah, I, I was pleased with the umpiring, too. I thought they called it very fair on both sides all weekend. Game two, of course, last night we saw Trevor Cahill. We discussed how he probably deserved a bit better. Uh, Bonifacio and Kane converge in right center, and that ends up costing them two runs after that. I think one came in on that. Maybe the next hitter got a hit when that would have been the third out, something like that. It cost them two runs, I remember, um, from last night. You know, what did you think of Cahill, Jake? I thought he was okay. Um, I, you know, we, we've heard his, and statistically his breaking ball, his curveball is like the fifth best curveball in all of baseball. So he's an interesting guy because he – the numbers are pretty sexy if you dig in and look at the advanced ones, but of course people see him as a French guy and a number five and a 29-year-old on a one-year cheap deal, and you know who knows if he'll stay healthy with the shoulder stiffness and you know stuff he's had earlier in the year. The Royals say his medicals check out good. Uh, what were your thoughts on, on the first Trevor Cahill uh, outing last night? Um, yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I think he deserved better. I thought he was okay. Um, I really like his breaking ball. He's got a big sweeping breaking ball that I think we're going to enjoy seeing, and um, you know, as long as he's able to stay healthy and give us innings, I, I think that's all we can ask for from him. I mean, he struggled a little bit. I believe he walked, I think it was three last night. I Correct me if I'm wrong, but he's typically a guy who doesn't walk many. He's only walked 26 this season, and he's a big strikeout number, 74 Ks in, over six, uh, in just over 65 innings. So um, I, I think he was okay last night. I think we'll definitely see better starts from Cahill, hopefully. And um, I, I'm looking forward to see what he can do down the road. I think it really solidifies – uh, that rotation with him in there. How dare you, Jake? He only walked two last night, not three. Come on. Uh, I Get- thought I heard three on the broadcast. Maybe maybe it was Ryan. It was wrong. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> I'll take blame. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, the Royals go out, and uh, also today, what, about 30 minutes before the game, they add Melky Cabrera, a guy we know from back in 2011. And this kind of puts to to rest and kind of puts to bed the old theory that David Glass is a cheapie and won't spend money because the Royals are on the hook for about $2.5 million of Cabrera. They added some money from the last trade. I mean, they've added about $4 million through trades in the last week, and it might not be done. So, uh, Melky Cabrera, you know, I think we both are going to agree we love this trade. You know, I don't love giving up A.J. Puckett and Andre Davis. Two more guys we talked to last year right here on Clubhouse Conversation. You can hear those interviews here in our archives on clubhouseconversation.com. Two very, very good young pitchers and, and very equally good people. Um, but, you know, I didn't like having to give those up, but you got to give some up to get something. Davis, probably a long shot, honestly, to make the big leagues. Puckett, a guy that has a pretty decent floor. You might end up seeing him as like a number four, number five. Maybe his upside might be what Jake Odorizzi has become, similar or something like that. Um, so, But, you know, you get Melky Cabrera, Jake. It's a, it's a switch hitter. It slides in your two-hole. An action guy that puts the ball in play only strikes out about 12% of the time. One of the toughest guys in baseball to strike out. You'll get a good at bat. He's been on fire since, uh, since the All-Star break. He's murdered Corey Kluber in his career over 400. He's hit over 300 against Cleveland this year. Um, you know, and that's important. And, and a guy that fits in this clubhouse well. And, and I guess just overall your thoughts on Melky Cabrera. Um, I, I was so excited about the deal this morning. It was a deal I honestly was not expecting. I was hoping we would go get, you know, some type of fourth outfit or bat, and not, but I was not expecting Melky Cabrera. But um, I think he's obviously he's going to fit in perfectly with this clubhouse. He's, he's good friends with a lot of these guys that he played with back in when he was with the Royals. Um, you won't have to see him and Hosmer hug anymore at first base when we play the White Sox, so that's good. <laughs> we can see him hug after the game when they get a W. Um, but I, I'm, I'm excited about Cabrera. I think he's going to be perfect in that two-hole. You know, he's hitting 295 this year, 13 homers, 56 RBIs, a 771 OPS. I think he's um, – it's really going to help us out. I, I think he's going to play in right field. I would assume he's – it's going to be interesting, I think. I want to get your thoughts, too, on 
um, how they're going to split up at bats here. I think he'll probably take some at bats from Bonifacio and some from Moss, um, maybe even some from Gordon. But um, he hasn't played a lot of games in right field over the last you know five or six years. But I don't think he could be any worse than Bonifacio is out there. So um, it'll be interesting to see what we do, but I'm excited about him being in that two-hole. It's a huge pickup for us. Yeah, I I do think Bonifacio has gotten better defensively, but he's certainly a below average at this point major league right fielder, but certainly he's gotten better. Uh, but yeah, I would say Milky is not a lot better, but he's better. I would say Milky might be a straight average defender in right field. Maybe not the arm you want, though, um, out no. there in right field. So <laughs> you're right, that's going to be interesting. You know, how do the Royals work that? Is there another trade in the works where they're going to go get a utility player you know, that could come in as a defensive replacement, kind of be the old-school Paulo Orlando coming in for Nori Aoki back in the day in the eighth and ninth inning. Just, you know, Solaire's not that guy, unfortunately. He's not good defensively either, so that's not an option. Orlando himself just had a, a setback on his rehab assignment. He'll be starting over the clock soon, so we'll we'll watch that. But, yeah, you you, you pose a good question there. Where do the at-bats come from? So I think we're, we're both in agreement. He's probably out in right field four or five times a week. Um, and I, I think he's hitting the two-hole, obviously. I would say he's playing – you know, 14 out of 15 days, he'll be in the lineup. So he's going to be in there every single yeah. day. So I think what it comes down to, I think you nailed it. I think what happens is he's in right field, we'll say four times a week, maybe left field once a week, and maybe DHing once a week. I could see him kind of, you know, taking one start a week from Gordon. Um, and then the other four or five starts, I think maybe he's taking three from Moss and maybe two from Bonifacio. But it comes down to this, though, Jake. Here's the interesting thing. We both know career-wise, Brandon Moss doesn't hit lefties. But this year, he's, what, 130 points or something higher? I mean, I know it's a smaller (laughs) sample size, but he's hitting much better against lefties this year than in the past. And, you know, it sounds as if Alex Gordon's only going to lose maybe one, two max starts a week. So, I don't know. who who You almost have to keep Bonifacio's batting there in the seven hole over Moss's, don't you, Jake? I would think so, yeah. Um, it's it's going to be interesting. I mean, I think Moss obviously is going to be in there against right-handers. And I, I think Bonifacio will probably be in there every time we face a lefty. Um, but it, it is going to be interesting because uh, Cabrera's got to be in there every day. You wouldn't have got this guy. He's a great hitter. He's a switch hitter both sides of the plate. He's going to produce. So he's got to be in there every day. I, I think you nailed it. I think maybe Gordon will get one day a week maybe against a lefty off. And then, you know, Moss probably, despite the numbers he's got this year against lefties, I don't think he'll probably start against any lefties this season, at least the rest of the way. I'd be surprised. And Bonifacio will probably play every day against the lefty and then probably get a start a week against the righties. I mean, that, that that's it'll be interesting to see. That That's the best I can come up with for what they're going to do. But um, it's a good problem to have, obviously. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a thing where you've got to get Milky in the lineup every day. You've got to find a way to get Bonifacio in there at least four days a week. I mean, the guy's been, I mean, he's been fantastic the whole season, and he's even been pretty hot since the All Star break. Um, yeah. So, so, I mean, it's, you can't really, and, and for his development sake, too, he's, he's got to be in there two out of three days, is kind of the way I look at it. So I feel like, you know, Bonifacio gets maybe one start a week in right field, and then maybe three at DH or, or, or two and two, something like that. But you've got to be getting him in there. Um, a lot, and if Gordon loses a start or two, I guess so be it. But I, I think it's important to keep Bonifacio as bad in there. Wow, what a how much length does that lineup have though? One through seven, when you go Merrifield uh, into Cabrera, into Kane, into Hosmer, Perez, Mustakis, Bonifacio, Escobar, Gordon, or Escobar Moss. I mean, that's a pretty impressive lineup, one through nine, right? <laughs> oh, it really is, and you're going to have a, a pretty good bat off the bench now every single day. Yeah, which is nice too in these games. So. 
um, yeah, it, it makes our order a, a lot more scary, and it's it's a lot tougher to really find any holes, especially because even Escobar, he's hitting the ball pretty well right now and looks kind of like his old self going to opposite field. So there's not really an easy out in that lineup at the moment. No, and Gordon's having good at-bats, not having the, the batting average season, but he's still giving you good at-bats and drawing some walks and finding ways to, you know, finding ways to get on base. So that, that lineup really is one through nine. If they stay healthy from here on out, knock on wood, uh, it's a pretty deep lineup, but the good thing about you know even if one guy gets banged up for a couple of weeks, it's nice having that extra bat that you've kind of acquired. And and that gets me to my next question, Jake. The, the murmurs of KC adding one more arm. You keep hearing between now and tomorrow night the Royals are looking for cheap pitching, and that's all you hear about. I've got to wonder though, and maybe this move comes after August first. I don't know um, because you know because Chesler Cuthbert's not a utility infielder when he comes back. He and he, he may not even come back till September the way it looks. Um, so. He's not an option. I mean, the Royals, Ramon Torres right now is your utility infielder. I think we can both agree that he looked good, you know, first 20 at bats, 25 at bats, but it seems as though the league has figured him out and he just looks miserable. He's missing balls by six inches up there. He's striking out too much. He looks overmatched out there, Jake. I don't know. Do you do you agree with me? I feel like the one thing the Royals are missing, they've got – the, the the speed off the bench in the playoffs with Terrence Gore, they've got that covered. The bullpen seems to me pretty airtight. Um, you know, I guess maybe maybe one more starter, you know, or a guy that's a backup that you can put in your long relief role. That I guess I don't really have a true long reliever out there. The closest thing would be what Scott Alexander or something. They don't really have a right a long reliever out there in the yeah. bullpen. So I mean, maybe that's what they're looking for is a long reliever slash like a Chris Young a couple years ago, like a six starter in case Hamill's ineffective or Vargas goes down or, or something happens. But my two questions for you, number one, what are they, who, who are they shipping out? to? You know, Because you've got to have three-man bench. You know, you've know, got to have three guys on the bench, so they have to ship out a pitcher if they add a pitcher. And I don't know, it, it feels like Alexander is about the only guy with options, but can you really ship him out for a month the way he's been pitching, A? And B, do you agree with me that perhaps the one thing no one's talking about that would be dirt cheap to acquire, maybe happens in August, is a utility infielder that can that give you good at-bats off the bench? Yeah, um, I, I totally agree. You know, um, I, I don't. We don't really have a pitcher yet. We could send out. I can think of other than Alexander. And I unless I you're DFA and Feliz, they're not going to DFA Feliz, are they? No, no. Especially the way he's throwing right. right now, too. Right. So, and and Alexander's been so good. I mean, he has been he has been in, gotten us out of a lot of tough situations this year. So you don't want to send him away. I, I don't know if they really have an option. You know, they may just have to use him as their long reliever for now, and and take that chance. But um, I do think they go get a utility man. Maybe not until you know. It may not be till mid or late August, but um, I think they do need one because yeah, Ramon Torres looks completely overmatched right now at the plate. Um, especially from the right side, <laughs> his at bats from the right side have not been good. No, a few times we've seen so, um, and and he's he's really not that versatile. He can only play a couple infield positions. So I think yeah, having a utility guy who could play you know all over the infield, even play corner outfield if, if needed. That would be the perfect fit to complete this roster, I think. I'm not nearly as worried about adding another arm. I mean, if they do, that's great, but I, I'm not sure what they would do with their roster in order to get one onto it. Yeah, I mean, but it almost seems like – so I guess my next question for you is, yes or no, the Royals will make a trade before tomorrow night's trade deadline? I'm going to say no. Okay. All right. Well, I'm kind of with you because – I just don't see what you can move out. There's just you like your yeah. Alexander is the only bullpen pitcher with options that you're going to move out. I mean, it is. And how do you do that to the guy? He's been great. He's too good. I mean, you can't. I just I don't know what they would do. I I, I don't know. I mean, 
Who knows? I don't know. I mean, unless there's something we don't know about, unless somebody's going to get shut down once I get to his certain innings. I mean, Vargas is a free agent coming up and a veteran. They're not shutting him down. I couldn't imagine. You know, they're not going to shut Hamilton. I don't know. I, I, I keep thinking, is there something we don't know about? Is somebody getting shut down at a certain point? But I, I think the answer is no, because they're all veterans. You know, the guys yeah. in the rotation. So I don't, I don't see that happening. So yeah, I, it's a bit confusing to me because the bullpen seems pretty much set. Um, but you know, of course, we both would love to have one more potential starter. So I guess we'll just wait and see what happens. I'm going to go with you, and I'm going to say no as well. But I do think a utility infielder is coming at some point. I mean, I love utility infielders. I think every year I ask for him to get a utility infielder, Jake. I think I love those guys, man. I wish there was like a Willie Bloomquist around these days. That we, that was, you know, exactly. Somebody like, or, you know, somebody exactly like, what we need. Yeah, yeah. Someone like Steve Pierce had another walk-off Grand Slam today. Did you see that again today? I did, yeah. What is going on with that? Twice two in a week. Yeah, two in a week? I wonder, if, I wonder if that's an MLB record. That seems like it would be a walk-off Grand Slam twice in the same week. Could that have possibly happened before? Maybe, but I, I would assume if it has, it's probably only been done once or twice. It's a rare thing. Yeah, for sure. So coming in, Jake, like we talked about, let's let's get to Baltimore now. So coming in, we said five and four would be well. We said four and five worst case. We said five and four is the realistic goal, and we said six and three best case. Well, Jake, five and four is guaranteed now. Uh, six and three that we said is best case. I think if they don't come home six and three, we'd be terribly disappointed at this point. You obviously can't get swept going into Baltimore. Um, let's go over the pitching matchups here, and let's talk about Baltimore. Baltimore is 50-54. and 54. It's odd that they added Jeremy Hellickson, who I'm assuming you're going to see on Wednesday night. It says TBA, but I don't know who else it would be. I'm assuming the Royals will see him on, on Wednesday. But it's odd they go out. I thought that was a little weird that they went out and added Jeremy Hellickson. But, you know, I guess they're technically within striking distance. They're six and a half out of first, five and a half out of the second wild card. So it's very unlikely. Five and a half doesn't sound that bad, but when you're chasing six teams, it's it's pretty difficult um, to get there, so they're pretty much out of it. But you, know, you hear rumors of Zach Britton being traded, which would be fantastic if he would be traded before tomorrow night. <laughs> don't know if it'll happen. It sounds fifty-fifty. You keep hearing about what Seth Smith being traded, and I don't see them trading Machado or anybody else like that. It's, there's no fire sale going on. But a team that's doesn't have good starting pitching, Jake doesn't have much outside of Britain as far as pitching goes. Really, a couple of good, couple of nice bullpen arms, and, and then really that's about it. So let's go over the matchups. You got Danny Duffy seven and six, a three five six against Ubaldo Jimenez, who's been a gas can for several years now. He's four and seven with a six point nine three. Tuesday night, you, you like the Royals odds there? You've got Ian Kennedy, who I think is much better than his four and six four four three against Dylan Bundy. Dylan Bundy's a, a guy that. The Royals, it would seem like that might be a bad matchup for them. I could see Baltimore winning that game on Tuesday. But Bundy, 9-8 and eight with a 4-5-3. Nothing special. I'm not saying that. But a guy that's capable of going out and, and striking some guys out and having a nice game. And, of course, Kennedy can struggle to keep the ball in Yosemite, let alone uh, Camden Yards. So that could be a, a tough matchup with all the Machados and Chris Davises and Adam Joneses of the world. And then you've got Jason Vargas versus most likely Hellickson. So, Jake, you love it from the Royals' perspective. Vargas, 13-4, and 3-0, by the way. I mean, you've got Duffy... Kennedy Vargas going against Jimenez Bundy Hellickson. I mean, you, you got to feel pretty confident the Royals can go in and get two out of three in this series, don't you? I think so. Yeah, um, I, I would be shocked if they lost tomorrow night against Ubaldo. He's so bad. He, he he can't. He walks so many guys, which I guess we don't walk that much. But he gives up home runs. He he's a disaster. He's having a horrible year. So we definitely have an advantage tomorrow night and. I think they it's probably split then between the last two games. Um, it'll be interesting. I, I don't think Bundy's a very it's a very good matchup against him, but we'll see. And um, as far as 
if it's Hellickson, we face, that's fine. It just depends, honestly, on how good Jason Vargas is. I mean, Vargas, I, I don't know about you, but I was just so pleased to see him come out and have a dominant outing yes. on Friday night. Because, yes. you know, we hadn't seen his last three starts before that had been pretty rough. And to see him come out, you know, and have such a good command of all of his pitches, his changeup was nasty Friday night. So um, hopefully we'll see some more consistency now from Vargas. But that was I was really encouraged by his start Friday night. Yeah, I'm feeling I, pretty good about him going into Baltimore. Well, I, th- I think two and three is what you really have to hope for in this series. I mean, you've got Duffy, Kennedy, Vargas. you got to be able to win two out of three from Baltimore. But at the same time, these guys aren't robots, and Baltimore is still a major league team, and anything can happen in that ballpark. Um, yeah. But I think we both like – the Royals winning two out of three. Go out and get that first game tomorrow. And even if they end up losing two of three, I mean, at the end of the day, if you come home six and three on this road trip, as long as they don't get swept in this series, I think I'm going to be happy with this road trip. Agree? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I'm hoping for two out of three, but I'm not going to be too discouraged, even if they only grab one in Baltimore. Yeah, I mean, but at this point, you've got to get one of these. You can't get swept by Baltimore, just to make that clear. Now, another thing to talk about, Jake, is that Cleveland, I mean, good. Thank, thank you, Matt Davidson, today for hitting a walk-off home run. God, how bad are the White Sox? I mean, they're almost as bad now. The team now is almost as bad as that 2003 Tigers team. I mean, they're brutal. You've got, like, Jose Abreu, Leori Garcia's off the DL today, and, like, one or two of like Davidson, and that's like it. And then Mankata is supposed to be a stud, number one prospect. Maybe he'll start playing better. But I mean, what their bullpen has like one major league pitcher, Tyler Clippard, who's no Tyler Clippard, who's not good. Jake Patricka is out there. I saw they had a guy last night named A Bummer. Do you see that? <laughs> the guy that lost the game last night. His last name was Bummer. B U M M E R. I forget the guy's first name, but I was looking at my app and I was just laughing hysterically. I'm like, oh, this will end well. The guy that's pitching is called a Bummer. <laughs> <laughs> that's going to end real well. <laughs> and of course it didn't. So, uh, but I mean, that, but now we see uh, Cleveland, what they get to face Chris sale. I hope like hell Boston adds you Darvish just as so Cleveland has to face him twice in the next week. <laughs> I mean, Cleveland has what six coming up the next 10 are against the Yankees and Red Sox, Jake. So, I mean, yeah. you figure Cleveland at best goes five and five in those, you know, hopefully they don't, but let's say they go five and five. All the world's got to do is go seven and three. And we get ourselves a tied division, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's nice to see them finally have a, to play a pretty tough part of their schedule. It's, I know they have to go to Boston, I believe, and then they've got the Yankees at home. Um, but they've got what fourteen games against the Red Sox and Yankees in August. It's, that's not easy at all. And they have especially t- with those. Go ahead. They, well, I was gonna say they have Tampa Bay, and they have yeah. the Royals. And who's the other team? There's some other good they team. Play- I think they play Minnesota on the road. Oh, and too. the and the Rockies, and they have three against the Rockies also. That's their yeah. that's their entire month of August. They have yeah fourteen was it fourteen against Boston and New York. They have three against Tampa. They have three against the Royals. I think you're right. Four against the Twins and three against the Rockies. I mean, talk about that. And they're for on a the month. road a lot too in that month. <laughs> so, so, I mean, if Cleveland goes 500 this month, real just looking at it as a whole month, the Royals basically only have to go three or four games. You know, over 500 this month, and you would think they'd be in first place, right? I mean, it sets up my point in, in talking about this is it really does, it really sets up nicely. And, and you and I, before the year, both predicted the Royals to win the division. Everyone laughed at us, and I stuck with that. We both did. I had about a two week stretch where I kind of gave up, which I think everyone did when the Royals were 10 and 20. I mean, the odds of them coming back to where they are is like none and none. But of course, they did it because they're the Royals, and that's what they've been doing the last four years, and we're just too stupid to catch on. But. Not as stupid as the experts, though, the national experts. But, I mean, 
I mean, why do why do I keep do you get frustrated? I keep reading people saying, "Oh, why are they going all in for the second wild card? We're a freaking half game out of the first wild card and two games out of first place. Why are we playing for a second wild card? What am I missing here, Jake?" I, the the experts apparently just don't watch us or pay any attention to how we do against good teams either because they would see that we – I mean, if they've watched us our six games against the Red Sox this year, you can see that we're a better team than the Boston Red Sox. <laughs> we proved it on the field, and we match up well with the Astros. Um, so I, I don't understand it at all. They, they say that, and maybe they're really that concerned, I guess, about our future. I don't know. But this Royals team has more playoff experience on the roster than any of these other American League teams. I mean, they've won most of these guys that have won World Series together. So I don't understand it at all because this team is two games back of the division. They're starting to get a handle, actually, on that second wild card spot as they're up, what is it, two or two and a half now in Tampa? Yeah, yeah. You, but I'm not even yeah. really looking at that because my eyes are on the division. Me too. I think they can definitely win this division. Yeah, I mean, it's right there. I mean, one thing I will say is you look at September, and, and one other thing, the Royals don't have an easy August. I'm not saying that, but the Royals have the kind of August where they should be able to play over 500, and I think just playing a little bit over 500 you know, could and should get the Royals into first place. It, it's a two-horse race, like we've been saying all year. We knew the trends were going to fade away and go. I mean, they, they waved the white flag by trading Jaime Garcia. You know, what a, what a long twin story career he had with that one outing at Oakland. Um, but, you know, they kind of waved the white flag, and they, there may be more trades tomorrow i don't know uh for them so i mean it's a it's a two-horse race jake and if, if cleveland goes you know 500 even in august you know which is very possible i wouldn't expect them to go a lot higher than that when you're facing chris sale a couple of times and severino and on and on you know you got all these guys you're facing and good teams you're facing um so i don't know it's gonna be interesting to see what happens but i feel like this the royals needed a lead going into september though because both both teams have a pretty easy september but i don't know if you've looked at cleveland's december september it's like all White Sox, all Tigers, like, and then like the Royals like six times. So really, the Royals, in, in my book, the Royals need to have a lead on September 1st to be you know, in, in the driver's seat. Agree? Yep, I agree 100%. Yeah, August is where the Royals have got to make their move with this you know, slightly easier schedule than, this, well, than Cleveland's at least. And Cleveland having such a brutal schedule with so many games against the Red Sox and Yankees, I think, yeah, August, you need to have a lead on the division going into September and it's going to be it's going to be a fun ride. I think it's going to be a dogfight. I think it's coming down to the it may be the last weekend, but for sure the last week. And, and who the hell is what are they smoking in the schedule making department? Why are you facing the Diamondbacks the last three games of the season? <laughs> what nothing says division rivalry and pennant race like facing a National yeah. League Arizona Diamond. What is that, Jake? I don't know. I, I wonder that I back when I first saw the schedule, I was curious about why we were facing them for the final games of the season um it it, it, it kind of sucks you know usually you're facing the division rival yeah. in the final three games you would think they would look and see oh you know what maybe we should have cleveland and kansas city play or you know minnesota and kansas city well they One just thought those, we were going to be know. dead last like vegas did right with the 70 yeah, 72 so. and a half wins preseason <laughs> <laughs> pakoda pakoda you know told them we were going to be awful and they believed them so i mean they're all right so um, but yeah, at least those games were in Kansas City. Last question for you, Jake, before we're, we're, we're going towards 45 minutes here. So one last question here. All right, my buddy, uh, only my buddy made this bet, wink, wink, because I don't bet, wink, wink. My buddy put several hundred dollars on the Royals over 78 and a half wins and put several hundred dollars on the Royals to win the AL Central at 18 to 1. He'll get a lot of money if the Royals win the division and, and win over 78 and a half. Give me a percent chance on both, one to a hundred percent. First of all, what's a percent chance the Royals win seventy nine games, one to hundred percent? Give me a number. 
I would say, I would say about eighty-five. Eighty-five percent. They get seventy-nine wins. All right, I'll say ninety-five. Yeah. All right, now give me a percent that the Royals win the AL Central. Man, I, I would honestly, if I had, I would say fifty-fifty, but. Judging by the Indian schedule, I'll go. I'll go fifty-five because of the Indian. Schedule. That is so funny because I texted him the same thing. I said, <laughs> I said fifty percent, and then when they added Melky and I saw the schedule and that they lost today, I said, you know, fifty-five percent because the Royals, the Royals yeah. really, in a way, are in the driver's seat because they they face Cleveland head to head. They they have a winning record against them this year. They're making moves. I don't know that Cleveland's going to make any additions. It'll, did you hear by the way what happened to Josh Tomlin today? He was throwing a no hitter and came out with an injury. Did you ever hear an update on that? I didn't. I, I saw it, and I was curious to what happened. I did see that earlier. Um, yeah. I'll be interested to see, yeah. So I, I don't know if that makes Cleveland go get another starter. Um, I kind of wish you know, he, he would have waited one more start to have that happen. I don't want them to get one of the marquee guys before the trade deadline tomorrow. I don't know. Are they are they going to do anything, Jake? I haven't heard I anything know. about I mean, them. Yeah, I haven't heard any rumblings about them doing anything. It wouldn't shock me. Um, but it probably, honestly, yeah, if, if Tomlin is going to be out an extended amount of time, you may see them all of a sudden just say, hey, what's it going to take for us to get a starter? No, thank so you. it wouldn't shock me. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him make at least one move tomorrow, but we'll, we'll see. Oh, if they add you, Darvish, I'm going to go play in traffic. <laughs> Please don't add you, Darvish. Please don't add Sonny yeah. Gray. They'll, they'll probably get like Lance Lynn just to piss us off, won't they? Yeah, someone like that. Yeah, I, I, would, I, I don't think they could probably – outbid the others for Darvish or Gray, but it wouldn't shock me if they got one of those. Yeah, because the Red Sox might be desperate, too, with David Price, you know, potentially going out. And you've got, obviously, some other teams that are really trying to get pitching. So, wow, I think it's going to be an active. What time is it tomorrow night? Is it 10 o'clock or 7 o'clock tomorrow night, the deadline? Do you know? That I do not know. I need to look that up. (laughs) Okay, yeah. Let me, me, before we go here, I'm going to do one last thing in Google. Let's see here, Jake. By the way, I want to tell people listening right now, you can subscribe to us on iTunes to get all of our episodes downloaded right into your iTunes. And you can also follow us on Twitter, at Royals Clubhouse. We're a great follow, Jake, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And absolutely. also... Oh, wow. Wait a minute. Also, of course, we are on Facebook. We don't post as much on Facebook, but we're a lot on, on Twitter all the time and through the feeds here. And, Jake, I think you and I should kind of stick to this tradition of, of doing it a week with him together as much as we can. I kind of like this format that we've been doing the last oh, yeah. few weeks here. Absolutely. Okay, so last my answer, it's 3 o'clock tomorrow. 3 o'clock. Okay. That's, that's what I fe- I knew it was usually in the afternoon. I just wasn't sure if they'd move or not. <laughs> okay, so we'll know. We got, what, about another – so about 19 hours. So I would imagine it'll be an active late Sunday night into late uh, Monday morning. So we'll uh, be back with you again here. Um, in a week on Clubhouse Conversation. Jake, you good to go for next Sunday? Yep, yep, I'll be here. Looking only the, forward to it. Only the professional shows make their plans live on the show. That's what we do up here on Clubhouse <laughs> Conversation. Have a great week, Jake. Hopefully we'll be talking uh, the Mariners. Hopefully the Royals will get at least a split. I guess we should probably touch on that series. We don't know the pitching matchups yet, but it seems like they're making random weird trades every day just to make trades like they're like playing Nintendo or something. But I'm, I guess we hope for at least a split in that one. Yeah, I think so. I, I honestly don't think they're that good of a baseball team after that series where we went out there. Um, so yeah, they're they're making some odd moves, and um, I, I think a split would be fine. But obviously, you know, I'm going to be aiming for three or four. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we'll talk to you again next Sunday night on Clubhouse Conversation. Have a great week and go Royals and welcome back to KC, Mister Milky Cabrera. Good night.